Talking Lead Heads. Welcome back to Talking Lead, episode 129. I know we had a few days off there, but uh, man, it was much needed. I needed to recharge my batteries. I got some uh, sh Christmas shopping out of the way, took advantage of some Black Friday deals. But uh, hopefully that little, um, um, little what do you call it, when you got a supplemental episode that we did, Casey and I did, uh, featuring all the Black Friday sales and deals that uh, friends of the show and sponsors of the show were having. I uh, hope you guys took advantage of those. Use the discount code LEADHEAD. Uh, a lot of those places you can still use that code, so uh, check them out. Tactical Walls, Nordic Components, uh, Primic, All-Star Tactical even uh, set up a Black Friday deal where you could use the Talking Lead uh, code. So hope you guys enjoyed that and took advantage of it. Uh, I know Casey and I enjoyed doing that show. Oh, yeah. And speaking speaking of Casey, uh, he's co-hosting with me again today. Casey, welcome in. What's going on? Oh man, just living the dream, and uh, uh, hopefully, you know, going to survive Christmas here. There you go, living the dream, slinging some lead, right? Slinging some lead, and got me some new pants. That's that really made my week. Is uh, I found I think did we talk about the cool pants on the last episode? I can't remember or not. No. But there's this company called it's K U H L, and they make outdoor apparel, really rugged hiking, mountain climbing type stuff. And I was uh, doing some Christmas shopping with Pepper, and she had to go to uh, REI. Is that the name of that store? REI. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was killing time while she was doing whatever it was she was doing, and I ran across this company, uh, and I called it Cole. K-U-H-L, it had two little dots over the U, and uh, I have since learned that you pronounce that as U. So the pants are cool. They're called cool. And I just I fell in love with them, man. I mean, it's the most comfortable pants that I have, have ever So uh, I found some on sale, and I bought five pair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of way I do things. When I find something I like, I'll buy a bunch of them because you you never know when pe companies are going to go out of business or whatnot, you know. So, and it's my understanding you got some of these pants too, right, Casey? Oh yeah, definitely. I got several pairs of them. I enjoy them. I enjoy them a lot. Uh, hey, if there's two if there's two apparel companies that I would like to be sponsored by, probably it would be Cool and Solomon. Yeah, Solomon makes some great shoes. Yes, I just bought another pair, as a matter of fact, from Tactical yeah. Distributors. But uh, I was told my package looked good in these pants, so I went and bought five more pairs. <laughs> oh, <hi. laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> so that brings us to our very special guest. Uh, and I know he probably didn't want to be preceded by my package, but uh, <laughs> we've got Randy Lee with Apex Tactical Specialties. Welcome in, Randy. Thank you. <laughs> package, <laughs> my package. You know, uh, that's that's the way she. That's the way my girlfriend. She said your package looks really good in those pants. I was like, I'm ordering five more pair. Cool. I'll, Thanks. I'll, I'll be sure to when I talk to my wife. What? How was the interview? I was like, well, we talked about packages. No, you're like, I'm gonna buy some cool pants now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna buy stock in cool pants. <laughs> But uh, Randy is the president of Apex Tactical Specialties. We're going to find out more about Apex 
as the show progresses, as you guys know. But first, we're going to talk about what we did this week with guns. Uh, Casey, did you do anything fun this week? Well, of course. We uh, naturally took one out to the range into the chirp pit. The chirpa pit. Uh, yeah, as, as you would call it. Um, and done some testing of some firearms. You tested, I believe, the uh, Nordic Corvette brake. Is that right? I did the, the Nordic Corvette comp, uh, AR brake. Um, put that on the 300 Blackout, Bo Frankenstein, as we affectionately call it here. Um, that's the one that we built with Sean over at Nashville Armory and used a lot of uh, parts donated by uh, Ergo. Uh, so thanks to Ernie over there at Ergo for donating the, the parts for that 300 Blackout rifle. Uh, but we did a lot of testing on some different stuff. We took the Caltech Sub-2000 out again and did some shooting with it. Had some tracer rounds we tried out. Uh, we got some ammunition from Detroit Ammo, checking that out in the Troy Conqueror rifle. With, um, speaking of which, the yeah. Apex muzzle brake that That's I was right. testing out as well. So. That's which, right. Apex um, not only does triggers, they do muzzle brakes, uh, they do barrels now. Uh, and we're going to learn more about what all they do coming up with with Randy, but we had a good time there. So we, I think I think we found the new talking lead. Uh, I I had before the talking lead ranch, so we'll call this the talking lead range. But it's we'll call it the pit. And uh, we just released a video this week, and it, that was featuring the Nordic Components Corvette comp. So you guys go to YouTube, check out our new video, and you're going to see the the badass place that we're going to be able to do uh, our TNEs from. And we'll have steel, lots of steel. Oh yeah, that's right. We did. Uh, we got some steel in from X Steel Targets, and uh, we've got some gongs and some spinners and uh, all kinds of different ones that we're going to be trying out. So we'll be setting those up uh, at the pit and and testing those out too in the near future. But uh, I'm thinking the pit's going to be the place where where we do the torture test for the AK. I think that'd be perfect. I'm in. Heck yeah. So other than that, I mean, that's that's really what we've been doing on our time off is I got caught up on editing some videos. I got several videos out, and uh, I've got several more to go. So you guys stay tuned. Keep an eye on uh, YouTube for uh, all that stuff we just talked about that Casey and I were TNEing, and uh, more to come, definitely. Randy, what uh, what'd you do this week? Yeah, I got my hands into um, doing a couple of custom 1911s. When I first started out years ago, when the dinosaurs roamed the Earth, um, we were still using single-stack 1911s, and so I got to actually a chance to do some some barrel fitting and some accurizing stuff, which I miss because now I'm pretty much an administrator and a janitor. So I'm either cleaning <laughs> now, toilets. Now, did you do these on your personal guns, or is this for something maybe your company's going to start doing? Well, primarily it's because people had sent guns in for me to work on years ago, and I just never had a chance to get to them. So I'm finally starting to clear out my backlog. Uh, the longest one, I think, has been here for seven years. So I figured I'd better start with those with those first. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I have very understanding wow. customers. They're, they're friends. It's like the, as long as it, I don't care how long it takes as long as it's done right. So. That's one hell of a backlog right there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years. Yeah. Well, wow. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. If, 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 if they're as good as the barrels I'm sure that you just produced and brought out, I can see why it takes a while. 
because perfection takes a little bit. Yeah. I, fortunately, none of my clients have passed away before they get their guns back, so <laughs> got to get someone in their lifetime. Yeah, but but on the norm, that's that's not your turn time. Yeah, no, it's they they allow me the the leisure to work on it at at my own pace. The the rest of the yeah. stuff, you know, the the big These projects. There's some highly highly specialized guns you're working on there. Yeah. I would assume. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So let's let's go ahead and get into um, Apex. Tell us tell us more about Apex. Who you are? What you guys do? What you specialize in? Obviously triggers because I've already I've already dropped that hammer so sure no pun intended yeah Apex started originally um, doing custom pistol smithing and revolver smithing work um, at at the time it was just myself and one other person doing admin work uh, and then we recruited uh, another person Scott Folk who's my business partner now to do the gun work so we worked on 1911s Browning high powers and the Smith and Wesson revolvers. And it sort of morphed into the, the reality that we're barely surviving just doing gun work because we couldn't charge enough for the, the, the labor that we put into the guns. So we morphed into doing some prototype stuff. Um, Scott's background has been in machining, so we made our sear for the M&P, and that was back in 2009, and it's just skyrocketed since. And so from there yeah. we went with new whole new trigger kits, whole new triggers, other people having issues with extraction with some of the Glocks. We started to become more the problem solvers for some of the industry. And, and uh, so we now we Randy is the the president of Apex, and your um, the guy you're talking about, Scott Folk. He's the vice president, right? Correct. And uh, you've got a you've got a background. You've got an interesting background. You're you're an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm and you're also electronic engineer, but you've also got a background in competition shooting. Yes, and competition shooting, I shoot uh, ICOR, which is all revolvers, USPSA. I back in the '90s, early '90s, I was shooting three gun because we weren't fancy enough to call it multi gun at that point. Um, <laughs> and then uh, also. Got hooked up doing law enforcement training for the state, so it was it was interesting. Um, I was I'm currently the only civilian firearms trainer that's listed for the uh, the governor's office of emergency services. Well, there's there's one thing you can't be mad about the governor for. <laughs> yeah, that's the. <laughs> so just to qualify, I mean, you you don't just kind of come into this. Hoity-toity, nonchalant. You know, just hey, think I'll get into the trigger world. You've got a background with uh, law enforcement training and competition shooting, uh, and you were mainly doing revolvers. Is that right? Is that what your that's what your specialty was with the revolver? That's what I started with, and because when I first started doing gun work, it was back in the the early '80s, like right around the late '70s, early '80s, and at that time, everybody was transitioning from revolver into the semi-autos. Um, so that's what I learned on traditionally. And then over the years, sort of morphed into the competition realm of having so much fun with wheel guns that I wanted to push the limits. Once I became an engineer, I started to understand how one system or component can affect all the rest of them. And so how do you marry all the different parts into making something that functions harmoniously? And so I was the first one to push the 
the trigger pull weight. How light can you go? Well, we know that I can run a three-pound double-action trigger pull all day long and have 100% reliability in my competition gun, and that's unheard of wow. as far as I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for for a revolver, a three-pound pull. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Really? That's crazy. And of course, it's it, you're using you know federal primers, you know specific hand loads for competition, but the fact that it could be right. done sort of shows us what the edge of the envelope is. How did you go about? I guess I guess the question I want to ask is with the revolver trigger. Obviously, they suck. People hate the you know right out of the box the revolver triggers. They're just they're too hard to pull. They're too long to travel. Obviously, for competition, you know, as an engineer. Your brain's working. You're thinking, "How am I going to make this better, faster, quicker, lighter?" What was your What was your first step in in I guess your first trigger job, your first modification? The first The first step in that was trying to understand first where are all the drag points? Because I used to, you know, spend money like everybody else, sending my guns off to have worked on. And I would take apart the guns. I noticed everything was polished in them. I was like, wow, that looks really nice. looks like they put a lot of work into it. But as I started to go through my engineering curriculum, I started to, started to understand that not everything needs to be polished. I mean, there are parts in there that make no contact with anything whatsoever, and yet they polished them. So hmm. it's, a, it's a matter of streamlining, understanding what, what those parts are that do need to be polished. And if you need to change angles on them to improve the trigger return so that it's as smooth and consistent as your trigger stroke. And the next thing you know, you come out with a, a trigger pull just by reducing friction that drops down two, three pounds. And then you go into figuring out how do you balance the springs out. And typically, you can't do that with just a spring kit. That'll get you only so far. So you start to play with, okay, if I reduce the mass on, say, a cylinder, in our case, we run a titanium cylinder, that's going to reduce rotational drag and inertia. Well, that smooths things up a lot. Well, if I lighten up the hammer, I have skeletonized the hammer, that gives me some net gains. And then it's a matter of figuring out how do you balance the springs out for the two to get that light of a trigger pull and still remain and have 100% reliability. So that's all the engineering nerd stuff that you do. <laughs> I mean, it sounds impressive. I mean, it really does. I mean, because it... The way you make it sound it sounds like you, you you have a lot of heart in behind what you do, and that makes a huge difference in the products that you produce. Yeah, it, it, we try to bring that same degree of passion, but also the the knowledge and understanding from from competition. Even you start to understand how hard some of these people can drive these guns, and so you start to look at where the limitations of the mechanics of the system are and figure out ways to improve that or reinforce it so that you have something that lasts longer, um, provides a better trigger pull in this case, and or improves accuracy. All right, so you started off with the revolver, mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously natural progression, uh, you've gotten into uh, the striker fires. Yes. And your main emphasis right now is on the, the Smith & Wesson line, right? Yeah, that's been... Because we entered into the market before anybody else really jumped in, um, we were we were lucky enough to be able to say, "Hey, we've got we've got a part that if you just drop it in, we'll give you a four-pound trigger pull," and that was just the sear, and that was so successful that people said, "Well, I want a lighter trigger pull." Okay, well, if mm -hmm. we adjust the springs to that to match, you get a lighter pull, like in the two-pound range, and then we started getting law enforcement people go, "I really like the the." 
the trigger pull characteristics, but I need it heavier. So like, okay, well now we can come up with a complete set of springs that improves that and increases the pull weight. So that's what we started with, but we sort of started branching off into different things. And because because we've had so many people asking for help with different platforms, um, we've we've jumped into the SIG, the 320, with our new trigger, the flat face trigger. Um, we're working we're working on special projects with the FNS. We're working with Walther um, and even CZ to develop products that can improve both the competitive realm as well as just your general recreational shooter. Right, right. What uh, what I want to do is, um, obviously you've got a lot of knowledge about the mechanics of the trigger, and this is a learning show. We like to educate our listeners, and uh, more so I like to educate myself. So it's more for me than, than anybody, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully the listeners get something out of it also. But uh, I want to talk more about differences in, like you were talking about, the flat trigger, the curve trigger, uh, different mechanics and stuff like that um, sure. a little bit later in the show. But now it's time for the Jack Wagon of the Week, baby. Hey, Ralph, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week, so brace yourself, baby. All right, so this week I have got, actually I've got several, but I'm just going to pick this one uh, in particular. Uh, Obviously, you know, the San Bernardino Massacre. Uh, those people are just automatically jack wagons. They're under the train. They're being drugged by the train, uh, and there's a special place in hell for them. So that goes without saying. But my jack wagon of the week is going to be the Nashville Metro Fairgrounds Board. And the reason that I'm throwing them on is because they are trying to get gun shows. um, They're trying to prevent gun shows from being held at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Uh, there's been a company called Bill Goodman Gun and Knife Show that have been doing shows there since I can remember. Uh, okay. A long time. You know, really long time. Uh, probably, what, 30 years at least. At least, because I remember going up there as a kid, and that was even whenever they added had everything with it. Like, uh, yeah. they even done, like, pottery and all kinds of stuff there on top of the gun show with knives. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's knives, there's gun, anything you know that's kind of in that realm. You know, it's at that show. Dealers come and set up. Uh, people come and meet and greet and talk, and you know, it's a it's a gun show. It's your typical gun show. But the uh, board, Nashville board, is uh, trying to get that taken away to where there's no more gun shows to be held at the Nashville Fairgrounds because it's public, um, uh, publicly owned. Uh, property, I guess, and they feel that based on some erroneous investigations and information that they have obtained throughout the years, that it's unsafe and they've been doing illegal things uh, at the at this show, at the the gun show. Yeah. So the Nashville Metro. Uh, owned fairgrounds was among a handful of gun show sites nationwide where, and this goes back to Mayor Bloomberg, had done some investigative reporting, I guess, about six years ago where he sent some undercover people to different gun shows throughout the country, and Nashville's happened to be one of those. And the gun show 
here in Nashville has been it's the Bill Gunman Gun and Knife Show, and it's been going on for for years, for at least, at least the past thirty years, I think. Um, so Bloomberg uh, comes in and uh, sends these people in, and he's got this report that he um, supposedly did. But I'll read I'll read the article here because it it'll do better than me trying to explain it. Uh, so what they reported back is now being cited by members of the Nashville, Nashville's board of fair commissioners as they define the controversial action last week, which that's when they uh, decided to halt all future gun shows at the, the fairgrounds until the operators agree to new safety guidelines and other rules, which we haven't seen what those new guidelines that they're trying to uh, enforce on them are. Um, but obviously the gun show operators feel that they've been within the law this whole time. Uh, New York City outlined the findings of its four-month investigation in a 36-page report called Gun Show Undercover. And keep in mind, this was six years ago, and it was a four-month investigation. And apparently the Nashville board's just now getting this report six years later. Uh, it's a 36-page report called Gun Show Undercover, which was a project spearheaded by Bloomberg, who for years has been one of the nation's most outspoken gun advocates. We know that. The highly disputed investigation, one that gun enthusiasts have blasted as unfair, biased, and inaccurate, consisted of citing operations at seven gun shows across the country, including the Bill, Gunman, uh, Bill Goodman one we talked about back August 8th through the 9th in 2009. Investigators concealed hidden cameras in their baseball caps, their purses, their uh, audio recording devices, in their watches. They're getting all James Bond on us here. Only somebody like Bloomberg could afford this kind of technology anyway. Uh, as they interacted with gun show vendors and set out to purchase guns. The report cited two alleged instances at the Nashville Fairgrounds, two alleged instances at the Nashville Fairgrounds in which dealers appeared to knowingly sell guns to buyers with questionable backgrounds. There's another thing. So is alleged and it appeared to be. Uh, nothing's factual here. The investigation also singled out four alleged examples in which dealers appeared to sell guns to other individuals in order to allow the buyer to avoid background checks. So it goes on to say that evidence in the report included one video of an undercover investigator seeking to buy a Glock 27 gun at the Nashville's fairgrounds by having a female friend fill out the paperwork as part of a gun background check. The buyer uh, is seen alerting the dealer that he's seeking to avoid filling out paperwork, but the dealer checks the ID of the woman and sells the gun to her anyway. Again... You know, we haven't seen this. This is just uh, alleged. The Bloomberg report was not mentioned by fair board members before they voted the 3-0 to zero with one member abstaining last week to stop holding future gun shows um, unless gun operators agree to the new safety rules. Instead, fair commissioners largely cited testimony from an assistant Davidson County District Attorney who singled out three cases she said linked guns purchased at the fairgrounds to felons. Uh, so this lady cited some stuff, obviously, that was, was false, uh, misleading. Uh, one of the, the things that she cited, one of the instances that she cited was um, a gun was used um, by a felon 
he was in another state, but they said that the gun was obtained from the Nashville Fairgrounds. Well, you know, that's how criminals get guns is they steal them from legal gun owners. So the gun was legally purchased at the Nashville Fairgrounds and then through the years, and it didn't say uh, how long it was, but it was several years after that gun was purchased at this um, gun show, then it was used in some sort of a, a felonious crime. So all three of hers were were very loose, I guess, in, as far as you know what was legal and what wasn't legal, and so they felt that they needed to get even more evidence to try to shut down the gun shows. So they've gone to this old Bloomberg uh, report to try to still justify their decision. So it sounds to me like these guys are really reaching. Uh, to try to get this gun show shut down at the National Fairgrounds because I think they have ulterior motives. I think they've got something else they want to use the fairgrounds for uh, during the time that the gun shows are held. And uh, yeah, it's one of those classic cases of these liberals and politicians trying to justify or um, you know watch this hand while this hand's doing something else. So I think they've got some other little seedy... Uh, money grubbing plan in place to to replace the gun show. No comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to cease a tradition. I mean, it's the, the, like you said, the gun show's been there forever. It's been there for as long as I can remember. I remember going up there as a kid with my parents, and and just walking through it. It used to be more than just a gun and knife show. There used to be all kinds of stuff attached to that at the fairgrounds. Uh, yeah. It just so happened the gun and knife show was there at the same time everything else was. All right, all right. So this report goes on to say that um, um, Bloomberg's administration released the report 2009 to further his argument that illeg illegally purchased guns have entered New York uh, and made the city less safe, uh, which Bloomberg hasn't been the mayor there since 2013. Um, John Harris, the president of the Tennessee Firearms Association, said findings in the 2009 investigation were contested because of Bloomberg's open bias on guns and gun shows. Uh, Harris also says, I also seem to recall that there were no enforcement actions taken by any law enforcement agencies based on or related to that Bloomberg report. Harris said, it was entirely, I would submit, essentially prejudicial in terms of the conclusions that it drew. Uh, and then, of course, Goodman of Bill Goodman's Gun and Knife, uh, obviously he's going to contest it. Um, I don't need to read his, but there was something in here about the ATF making a comment about that nothing that they found in that report was illegal. It might have been, some of the things might have been unethical, but they weren't illegal. So then we get into that line of, you know, this ethics versus legality type thing, too, and um, these gun grabbers trying to push the limits of that. But they're grasping, you know. Um, I think it's going to get overturned. I hope it does anyway. Um, but we shall see. But welcome to the Jack Wagon Train uh, Nashville Metro Fairgrounds Board. But uh, what about you? You got a Jack Wagon this week, Casey? Well, uh, yeah, actually, I do. I've only, it's not a very legit one, but. Uh... I'm going to kind of hound on the military just a little bit for the training that we have to do. Oh, wow. Oh, got to go to training. Poor oh, baby. I'm telling you, leadership skills cannot be learned in front of a computer. <laughs> this mess about going online and doing 10,000 classes does not do anything. There are certain things that 
is that your guard duty now? Is you have to go online and do do your uh, training? No, not typically. But there's a lot of annual training that they produce now that we have to go on and, and do certain classes. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's just it's a headache. But you still have to go to the base and do your maneuvers and all that stuff, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Typically, we do. Yeah, we still have to do that, but that's fine. I'll do that all day. But to sit and beat my face in front of a computer, no. <laughs> all right, so we'll just we'll just kind of have them as honorable mention. How about that? <laughs> yeah, let's learn leadership where it needs to be learned, not in front of a computer. There you go. Randy, you got anybody you want to throw on the jack wagon train? Uh, the only one I can think of is California Department of Justice. They have their list of guns that are certified for sale. So they have this list, and it's declining, decreasing as we speak. But if you go on there, there is a list for guns, new guns that have been approved, and it's just an empty sheet. Are you serious? Yeah, it's an empty sheet wow. because you know everything has to be the the whole micro stamping issue. And there's no no manufacturer in their right mind that's going to do micro-stamping. No. But it's just, if you want to talk about, or if they want to talk about, well, we don't want to restrict anybody's right to get guns. It's like, well, there's no new technology that's out there to be able to provide us with new firearms because right. we have really stupid laws. You've, you've invented something that's, or you're coming up with a restriction that's not been invented yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think uh, pretty much all of California's government at one time have been on uh, the jack wagon train. But hey, we're happy to <laughs> we're happy to throw them on again, man. Yeah. Secure uh, their seat. That's why we have that our our t-shirts and little logo behind it, manufactured behind enemy lines. <laughs> there you go. Um, I love that. By the way, that's awesome. We're the, thanks. We're in the trenches. <laughs> oh, you have that shirt available on your website? Yeah, we do. We have the on. Yeah, we should have them available on the website. Okay, hey guys, go go check out their swag. Um, what do you call those little things you click on? What are they called? All the little icons or these little things. What are they called? The, tabs. Yeah, the tabs. The tabs. <laughs> there we go. You'll find that I grasp for words sometimes, Randy. So just uh, I'm, yeah, just same here. Unfortunately. <laughs> Just go with it and help me out. Okay. Go, go ahead and go ahead and grab you one of these, Marty. You can see that. Ooh. Wait a minute, I gotta, uh, I gotta get on the screen here. What is it? Oh, you got a patch? It's a it's patch. Their patch. Nice. That nice. is their patch. It's great for uh, gear bags or anything. Randy, like that, I'm I'm what's known as a gear queer, and I've got you know all kinds of bags, and I put patches all over them. Uh, so yeah, I'll definitely get me one of those and throw on there. Oh, absolutely. We'll definitely send you out a few. You can, like... Gotta maybe, represent. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, where's Waldo? Just kind of move it around on the wall. Yeah. yeah. I've got Apex stuff and Troy stuff and Nordic component stuff. i got it laying everywhere. My house went from a normal home to being a home of gun. <laughs> Just enthusiasts. Yeah, that's what this room has been designated for, is all my... It's the catch-all room. So. But that is not a problem to have. No, that's a good think. thing. I'm just proud I got to get, get at least one room dedicated to that. So. Yeah. I need to put you a Darth Vader back there. I'm not a Star Wars fan, but put you a Darth Vader back there on the mantle. Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that movie is coming out in, what, eight days? I think so. Uh, 
I'm a Star Wars geek. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new Star Wars movie. I'll admit it. There you go. Uh, that's uh, there's something that uh, y'all can invent, Randy. Uh, come up with a lightsaber. No, a trigger that favors the the, the what is it? The phase the phaser the blaster thing? the blaster yeah the blaster yeah. Come up yep. with something that looks like that. <laughs> I'm just curious to see if if a lightsaber will make major power factor. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> right, I know uh, that's kind of what I was thinking occasionally. I would like to have one if somebody invents it. I'll I'll T and E it. I'll T and E it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Randy. There is a series of questions that we ask our first time guest, okay. and I'm going to submit you to those now. Are you All ready? Right. I am ready. Okay. First one. How did you, or what's your earliest recollection of getting involved with firearms? The earliest recollection that I have was probably when I was about five or five or six years old. My parents, um, much to probably their dismay or disappointment, gave me one of those suction cup pistols. <laughs> and oh, I love that thing. I'd sit there and I'd shoot it against the glass. The sliding glass door. I'm not familiar with that. What is a suction cup? They used to make them. They were they were the dark guns had these sucker suction oh, cups. Oh yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, the they dark still gun. make them. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. They invited some of their friends over for for dinner, and the gentleman stepped through the door, and the sights were pretty much dead on because I hit him like dead center of his forehead. So I was doing <laughs> I was like I was doing failure drills or something. You're so, destined to be a, a competition shooter. Yeah, competitive shooter. <laughs> That's awesome. Did that earn you uh, going to bed early without your dinner? Yeah, probably a, a little bit of redness on my behind, I would have to say. Man, I've, I forgot all about those guns. I remember those. Now, I used to have those. That was like way before Nerf. Is that you had yeah. these... They had the long little stems on them, and they had the little suction cups on that, and you would mm-hmm. put them in. It's spring-loaded. And then, yeah, I remember those now. Man, I've not thought about those in a long time. Yeah, then then you graduate to things like the they had the Star Trek tracer disc guns, so you could load up a bunch of those little discs and launch them. Yes, yes, I had yeah. that too. And it was, down, it was downhill from there. They just kept going up to things like, oh, okay, well now... Oh, now I can get into the the rubber pellets, the the ones that had all the rubber pellets. And then it was a BB gun. Yeah. And then the it just BBs. then BBs and just got bigger and louder. Then the BBs got to lead. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, are you originally from California? Is that where you grew up? Born yeah. and reared. Yeah, I've been. I was born and raised in California. Do you mind asking me how old you are? Uh, no, I don't mind at all. How old are you? All right, no, I'm 52. You're 50. Okay, so. You were around before California was California. So yeah. back when they actually, um, I mean, they were kind of like the Wild West back then. I could go into a gun shop, and the biggest, the biggest dilemma I can remember was, do I buy this Car 15 or a Star Og? Oh wow! <laughs> you know, that's that's good days right there. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like you don't even see those things anymore. How and how quickly that they they did the 180, you know? Yeah, it's it's amazing. It really has changed so fast. The the political environment is like we've now we is now as as 
owners of sporting arms are now vilified. And the when vilified, not too many years ago, it was just it was just the complete opposite of that. You know, yeah. it was a very uh, welcome and common thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 would you say? What was your what would you say your earliest recollection would be of it of things changing there? What it's, spurred it? Would you say? It seemed like the it started. They started talking about it when when John Lennon was was murdered, and then oh, when Reagan yeah. got assassinated over the attempt on his life. It just mm-hmm. just like starts starts spiraling down. Yeah. Um, and then that's I had um, to... Peter Palma on the show not too long ago, and he threw Ronald Reagan on the jack wagon train. Oh, really? Where, you know, most people, you know, hail Ronald Reagan as one of our greatest presidents ever. But uh, if you really look at things that he did for, uh, you know, our Second Amendment rights, um, after his presidency, he did some things that were, you know, he did a 180 also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's a, sort of the same thing. It's like I don't know that we could trust anybody coming from um, Hollywood to become mm. become governors because Schwarzenegger did some of his own damage. And, oh my um, gosh, the yeah. biggest hypocrite in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. Too. Guns made made his career. They made him who he yeah. is. What's sad is all the actors that I grew up with. I mean, hell, I sit on the couch with Dad watching Rambo. Mm-hmm. Sylvester Stallone. That was like the movie back when I was young. Yeah. 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 And now they're all like, "Guns are bad." Well, are you kidding me? It's what made you famous. Yeah. Yeah. And Case they still point. make movies about them. Yeah. I know, and that's what drives me crazy. Uh, like, uh, what's the new movie? Uh, what's the ones that Sylvester Stallone's been doing? The Expendables. The Expendables. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on, you're going to represent a soldier that's obviously a specialized soldier, but yet you're. You're the biggest, you know, person against guns there is now for some yeah. reason. And then we have people like Liam Neeson now. That I <laughs> yeah. And yeah, another hypocrite who's who's got a gun in every one of his movies, and then he comes out and makes that statement. He he made the Jack Wagon Train, by the way. He okay. and Sylvester Stallone, and I don't know if we've thrown Arnold Schwarzenegger on there or not. I get oh, I get in trouble for saying his name, Schwarzenegger. All my right. idols are just going down the drain. Uh, yeah. just, as, long as, Chuck Norris, as long as Chuck Norris doesn't make any comments, or has he? Yeah. that's if, if Chuck Norris starts to make comments that are anti-gun, that's a sign of the impending apocalypse as far as oh, I know. Yeah, it, it is. The um, world's ending. I'm yeah. done with Hollywood if, if that happens. <laughs> um, I mean, you just, you just don't get guys like... Um, um, crap. What's his name? Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood and Charlton Heston. Chuck yeah. Heston, man. You know, where where are those guys that have the backbone to stand up for obviously things that made their career, but um, well, I thought Clint the right Eastwood, stance. I thought Clint Eastwood did do some good comments, though. I thought he was, was for the second minute. He is. That's what I'm saying. What happened okay. to those kind of guys? You know, where I are those Hollywood they, guys? I guess they fought. The battle that they could fight, you know. I mean, they're getting older; they can only do so well, much. Well, Charlton Heston's dead. Yeah. So, I mean, Clint Eastwood—he—he's getting rough, <laughs> but he's yeah. still a good actor and got a good heart, apparently. Great director. I mean, he directs yeah. some wonderful movies. But all right, question number two: um, mm-hmm. Have you 
ever been in the military or law enforcement? Um, obviously, we know you do some training with uh, law enforcement. No, I was pretty much the comic book nerd growing up. So it was kind of like yes. parents, <laughs> Me too. parents saying, go become a doctor, be an engineer, do something, you know, along those lines. Use your brain because you don't have any brawn, so give it up. <laughs> um, but it was funny because as I was growing up, as I, after 18, a good majority of my friends were law enforcement. I mean, mm -hmm. a vast number of them. Um, and then I started to get indoctrinated to the, the competitive shooting realm where there were more law enforcement. And it just sort of morphed into, you know, I, I see people, both military and law enforcement, putting their lives on the line. And in retrospect, how there was so much support back then in comparison to now, oh, where wow. you've got people that are just, you know, bashing law enforcement left and right. No, actually, they're not just bashing them, they're murdering them. Yes. Yeah, so it seems like we as a society have really sort of lost our perspective on what things are right and what things are good. Yeah. yeah. That job is not easy. No. No, I've, yeah. I have the utmost respect for anybody in, in service, so whether it's law enforcement, fire, or, or military because yeah. they do a job that I don't have the skills or capability to do. So I appreciate them protecting my life and my rights. Well, now, you know, don't don't be down on yourself. Obviously, you do some training for law enforcement. So uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit more detail about what you do with that type of training. There's a organization, state organization, called the California Specialized um, Training Institute. And there they do several things, multiple multi here from hazardous materials to uh, bioterrorism threats to all varieties of different threat levels from terrorists, both, both domestic and foreign, um, as well as law enforcement training, trying to bring up a level of, of aptitude and skills for officer safety and, and field tactics. Because a lot of the smaller agencies that you don't hear about, they don't have the funding to be able to learn what's the most recent, like force-on-force -force training. Um, if you have to enter into a building to search, how do you do it safely? There's just not that many resources for them. So the California Office of Emergency Services helped form this, this entity to help law enforcement and fire departments where they have arson investigators. Um, they don't have access to that to provide that for them, and it's it, it's a reasonable you know they, it's a, a very reasonable cost um, reimbursement for the state, but it yields huge dividends as far as officer safety goes. We've had num numerous officers that have said, "Hey, what we learned on your tactical range has saved my life and my partner's life." Um, so cool. it's that to me is shows that what's being done out here is worth it. It's it's saving yeah, lives. Absolutely. Definitely. So so you know, you do do things for our law enforcement. Uh, you, you train them so yeah, <laughs> you can't do the things that they do. <laughs> but in reality it'd be like me like in like Danny DeVito in Romancing the Stone where he's running down the hill firing <laughs> over his back and stuff. <laughs> It's like, do what I say, don't do what I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of uh, romancing the stone and Danny DeVito, when it comes to pop culture, 
what is your go-to, whether it be a movie or a book or a TV show or music um, that's firearms related? Uh, the go-to movie. You know what's sad is that the, the go-to movie for me in growing up was Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah. I love the Lethal Weapon series, yeah. Because it was just, okay... There's there's a higher level of of skill that's required, and they showed some stuff that was like, wow, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. Um, but then as you get older and wiser, and you're watching, you know, Mel Gibson shooting at the indoor range, <laughs> yeah, closing his eyes face. and flinching every time he pulls the trigger, and then you look at somebody like Kate Beckinsale in the uh, the Underworld series. Yeah. Where she's yeah. just shooting full auto and her eyes are just completely open, no blinking. Well, she's a vampire, though. You know, she's yeah. inhuman. She's supposed yes. to do that. Okay. <laughs> she has no eyelids. No, no, she doesn't blink. <laughs> um, Tremors. Tremors was oh, great. Oh wow, man! I didn't think anybody else had seen that movie. Oh, long it's, time. Yeah. The, I just watched like Tremors eight or something the other day. Oh, really? It, Have they gone that far? Oh, I don't know gosh. how far. I mean, it's like five or something. I don't know, but it's still the same guy from um, Growing Pains. Dad, what's his name? Michael Gross. Or yeah, Michael Gross. Yeah, he's still kind of the main character, I guess. Uh, the hunting down those big worms. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was some other comedian guy. I can't remember the name, but I've seen him. He's a comedian that he was, and it turned out to be his son, but. The original Tremors with uh, Kevin Bacon. Uh, that's yeah. that's my favorite one. And yeah. and uh, what's her name? The country music singer Chick- Reba. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a hilarious movie. But it was funny. She's anti-gun too. That was kind of a disappointment. It's like okay, I'm never gonna buy her albums then. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard that about her. What about Mel? Is Mel come out as being anti-gun or he he's just anti everything, isn't he? I think so. I, I think he's. I don't know if he's anti-sobriety or... or... <laughs> Poor Mel. He was one of my favorite actors, too. Yeah. Until he went cuckoo. Hey, I don't uh, care. He still played an excellent role in The Patriot. That was yes. a good movie. Yeah. That, that movie still gives me chills. Still. Is that the one with Heath Ledger? I think. Yes. Yeah. I think it is. They had the, the cannonballs... Uh, yeah. Going through and taking people, yeah, the special effects on that were pretty cool. Well, it still yeah. just gave me chills, man. Just, just to think, if, even if it's not close, but halfway close to realization of back in the day, then on the mm-hmm. founding of this country. I mean, just think about that. Right. That's what those guys went through. Holy crap, you know. <laughs> so, well, uh, there's no doubt that they had it pretty bad back in those days. They don't have it as cushy as you being able to learn your stuff from a computer these days. Well, not all everything is learned from computers. Now, they wouldn't be whining and bitching and moaning about uh, learning from a computer. <laughs> they, oh, I guarantee you happy would. to do that. <laughs> I guarantee you they would. It's not not bred into you when you go into the service and go through basic training and you're yelled at day in, day out by a drill sergeant and told how, how much you suck and how much you need to beat your face. That's what uh, you go older to brothers are for. I had two older brothers that did that. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, just, yeah. If it even somewhat connected to you going through basic training, then you would hate computers. All right, nobody's feeling sorry for you. Nobody's feeling sorry for you, Casey. Little violins are playing all across the United States for you. Please. 
So, Randy, next question. Yes. What is your... All right, let me back that up. I always forget this one. Is there or has there ever been a firearm or maybe a piece of kit that you own that you might be just a little ashamed to admit to owning? Oh. Does that include things that I've gotten rid of? Yes. I mean, that would be that would be like a classic. If you got rid of it, you probably were very ashamed to. Yeah. The one that I was ashamed of was, was the Star Model 30M. Double action, single action, and got huge reviews on some of the magazines. And I took it like hook, line, and sinker. And if I was lucky at 25 yards off the bench, it would it would hit a barn door. <laughs> it was atrocious. The trigger pull was horrendously heavy. Um, Who makes that? Is that a foreign made? Yeah, it was made out of Star. Was a company? I think it was out of Spain. Okay. That they were imported in. I think it was my inner arms. Anyways, I just felt like I was duped by, by, by the by you know the guns and ammo or whatever the magazine was at the time, uh, just because it's like it had such glowing reviews and it just it it was abysmal. So did the um, what was that one that was it Ruger put out recently? I don't know. I can't think of it. Somebody put one out recently that uh, it was in the past two years. I can't remember what it was. Hmm. It was it was a complete flop, but uh, it was being hailed as oh, is that the the Remington? The Remington, that's what it was. R fifty one. Yes, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> yeah, I my biggest fear now that we're getting into the realm of doing all these custom parts and and are on the verge of you know making our own service pistol is doing something like that. That gives me like nightmares. So. Did I, did I hear you correct? You're in the process of designing your own pistol? That's that's our next evolution. Oh, very coming, cool. Com, coming to a state near you. Tennessee. Oh, that's a, Tennessee would be you. awesome. That's a bomb drop. Can you can you talk about details on it? Not really cuz it's still all on napkins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it's it's something that I'd wanted to do since I was at you know in junior high school was come up with something. Okay. And we we've just learned so much from problem solving um, and coming up with refinements for the M and P for the Glock and for all these others. We've amassed so much knowledge about not only what to do but how to manufacture it. So it seems like a natural progression for us. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, I, I'm excited to hear more about that. Maybe we can talk off air about that. <laughs> sure. Definitely, definitely, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless you're under some kind of gag order. Yeah. <laughs> the napkins don't have any gag orders on them yet. So. <laughs> Not yet. Especially <laughs> they don't get wet, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the opposite of the last question, what would be – your next bucket list gun? What's the next gotta have, wanna have? Uh, price be damn, laws be damn. What would you add to your collection right now? Yeah, it's it, it has to be one of the the Stan Chen custom guns. His custom 1911s. Um, so I'm not familiar with Stan Chen. Stan Chen is out of Durango. He is uh, he's to me he is one of the the premier custom. 1911 builders, and because he builds everything himself, his slides he builds it by himself, his frames, he matches everything. He machines them rather than doing the hand fitting, so oh, wow. everything is precise. I uh, bet those are a pretty penny. Yeah, I think 
those start his base model starts at like ten thousand. But wow. I bet you, I bet you he can get it to you before seven years. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm afraid he's going to ask me that. Okay, you build me a gun, I'll build you a gun, and we'll both be dead before we ever finish. <laughs> you never finish well, them. Here's something I didn't notice on. I think I found some stuff. Now, does his, does the Magwells on his 1911s, are they part of the frame? His, they yeah, he's got a couple. He's got one that. You can machine and and drill and tap and screw as a fixture, and then he's got one that he he blends in with it, which is uh, I think it's welded and blended. Because that was smooth looking. I seen that, and I was like, man, look at that machine on that. I was like, holy crap, it's smooth. You guys are going to be at Shot Show, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go by. He usually shows, and I think it's with he's at the same booth as VZ Grips, um, usually. Okay. Um, but he has some of the samples and, and, and look and handle one of his guns and, and then compare it to some of the other guns. Like you go walk by the Smith & Wesson booth and pick up one of their Performance Center 1911s. I'll do, a, I'll do a booth review with him. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go down and do a video. Um, I'm going to be set up at SHOT Show, so I want you guys to come. We can meet in person. Yeah. Uh, I'm in between the exhibit halls. There's a little office section in mm-hmm. between. Uh, and I've got the show set up there, so I definitely want you guys to come by. That'd be great to meet you guys in person. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, All right. So the last question is: If you could spend the day at the range with anyone, still alive, past, fictional, who would it be? Or oh, it could boy. be a group. Could be a group of people. Who would you like to spend the day wow. at the range with? Ooh. Actually, actually, it would be it. Would be, it would be with a group of people from Moms Demand Action. Okay. <laughs> the reason I say that is I because... I like where you're going with this, if, yes. If we have the opportunity to enlighten and dispel a lot of that hysteria and fear and change one person's mind, that would be totally worth it. There you because go. I like the way you... I like what you did with that question. Very good. Mm-hmm. That was. Leave it to an engineer to... They, they, they come in yeah. from the back end and... Yeah, the minds. Yeah, it's uh, uh, realistically, I'd probably get like bludgeoned to death and tarred and feathered by them. But uh. I like that answer. Um, but I'm also gonna have to give, let you give me an answer of somebody cool that you'd want to spend the day with. Somebody cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, like Clint Eastwood or the Lone Ranger or you know something like that. All right, I'm gonna say Kate Beckinsale. Oh, seen- there you go again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm. Whoa. Yeah. I'm, not only like am I an engineering nerd, it's, it's like I'm a sci-fi geek too. So and you like hotties, yeah, and she's pretty cute. So she, yeah, she's up in the top ten, no doubt. <laughs> well, very cool. All right. So yeah, I liked your answers. Those were good. We haven't had those before. All right. So now that we've gotten to know Randy a little bit better, um, let's let's find out what he knows. Let's get into the triggers. And uh, kind of like we talked about earlier, uh, the different types and designs and functionality of triggers. Uh, I'm I'm curious. I want to learn more about them. And we're specifically talking about pistols. You know, there's rifle triggers, there's shotgun triggers. I don't know what your specialty is as far as that realm goes, Randy. But uh, yeah, with with long guns, I'm not really familiar with some of the. I don't know if they need to be makes anything other than a traditional type curve trigger on a shotgun. But I know that for the AR-15, 
that that platform, there's manufacturers out there that are making flat face triggers. Um, right. Part of that, part of the whole idea behind that flat face for at least for a a hinged or pivoting trigger is that you get more mechanical advantage over the the firing or the fire control mechanism because the lower you can get on the trigger, the it's like a teeter totter. The more advantage you have over it. So mm -hmm. if you're lower on the trigger, you might experience uh, say a three pound pull, whereas if you were centered right on the center line of where a curve trigger would be, you're right. up at four or five pounds. Okay, so it gives you a little little more leverage. Yes, going down on one of those flat triggers, you can get down lower on it. Yeah, okay. and there's 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 an advantage because you can, with the less weight, you can sort of refine your gross trigger movements, whereas if it's up more towards the center line of the trigger and if you have to apply more force the more force and the faster you run the gun the more the parasympathetic muscles start to get into play so all of a sudden your whole hand is starting to convulse on the gun as you're pulling faster and shooting faster shots both and that's true on both a rifle as well as a a handgun let's uh let's back up a little bit and let's get real uh elementary with this and let's talk about the parts of a trigger. So educate us on the me the mechanical parts of just your basic trigger. Depends on what you're if you're talking about like a double action revolver or a DAS. Well, then that gets into something too because you've got different actions. You've got single yes. action. You got double action. Well, let's actually backtrack. I'm going to backtrack and talk about the single okay. action single cool. action Colt Peacemaker, the 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 good old Colt 45 uh, revolver, single action revolvers. Most of those triggers yeah. had very little curve to it, and the reason was because they're limited in the total trigger travel. So you could have a flat trigger on something like that, just like you could have a flat face on, say, a 1911. But when you start getting into a double-action gun like a revolver, where you're having a longer trigger stroke or rotational arc, that's when you want something to center your finger or position your finger more in a consistent spot so that your trigger finger doesn't slip off. If we had a flat face trigger on a revolver, your trigger finger would end up sliding down towards the bottom and probably dragging along the underside of the, the trigger guard. Mm -hmm. That sort of necessitates having more of a curved face on the trigger. When you start talking about something like the Glocks with a safe action where you still have a long trigger stroke or semi-long trigger stroke, but it's still reduced in comparison to, you know, say three-quarters of an inch of travel like you would on a revolver or a double-action, single-action first shot. And then when you start getting into something like the, nine, or the 1911 or the striker-fired M&P or the Walther, now we can start working in back into that same range to where you have limited travel and you can really take advantage of the, the trigger profile. Now, how do, other than the flat, flattening the trigger out, how do you, how do you reduce that travel? It, it involves, it's kind of complex, it involves the timing on the, the safety mechanisms, the internal safeties. Like if you're talking about an M&P, you have, and you have a stock factory trigger bar, well the, the vertical upright that disengages the firing pin or striker block is sort of at a set location. Unless you make your own trigger bars, you kind of have to finagle your way around that. So the way, say, the M&P, the way we worked with it is we're able to make our own sear, so we can adjust that contact point that engages the trigger bar a little bit further forwards, and we can adjust the striker block itself 
to sort of mm-hmm. have a broader surface so that it engages a little bit earlier, and that's how we reduce the the total travel. So, so talk to us and tell us about again. We're you know we're we don't know anything about triggers here. Let's just assume that everybody listening, what's a you know what's the the bar, what's the sear, what's you know how do all these parts come into play, and what do they do? What are their what are their purposes? Okay, the we'll sort of work the way back. The the sear is what would engage either a hammer or a striker. So that has to connect with the trigger bar in some way, shape, or form. And the trigger bar is connected to the trigger, the trigger face that you actually articulate. Right. So whenever you press the trigger, it is mechanically fixed or linked to the trigger bar, and that's what either causes the trigger bar to either push forwards or push to the rear or depending on the gun, pull forwards. That has to interact with the sear and therefore the hammer or the striker. Now, most of the modern striker-fired pistols all have some sort of drop safeties and firing pin block safety. So just in case the sear fails or a striker f- fractures, it mm-hmm. prevents the striker from moving forwards and hitting a, a fire or hitting a, a live cartridge. So. There's a range at which the guns were intended to operate. So some certain amount of trigger pull, you have to take up the slack. That will get you to where it, the trigger bar interacts with the striker block and bypasses it. It disengages it. And then some point beyond that in your trigger stroke is where the sear starts to release the striker or the hammer. So in order to make something where you can reduce the trigger pull, and the big litmus test or was our comparison is the 1911. Everybody, whether if they have a 1911 or if they don't, they, they know that just from people talking on the internet, you know, all the, the trigger pull is like a crisp short break, like my 1911. And a lot of people right. don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just hear people talk about it. Yeah. But what they can perceive is on another, for instance, with the M&P, if you take the stock factory guns, there's a lot of pre-travel and there's a lot of over-travel, and that makes for my trigger finger having to do more work, both in in compressing the trigger to the rear as well as releasing forwards to allow the gun to reset for the next shot. Mm-hmm. Well, if you readjust the timing either in any of those components, the trigger bar, the sear, and or the trigger body, you can time it to where it will do exactly what it's supposed to do, which is disengage the safety, then disengage the striker, or release the striker, rather, and you can shorten up the total travels. And that's what people can perceive, like, wow, I can shoot this thing faster because my trigger finger doesn't have to move as much. And you can affect the trigger pull by changing the weight. With the trigger face, if you do a flat face trigger, now all of a sudden they're getting lower on the trigger, and what they were running at originally at a four-pound pull is now at three pounds or less. So you were talking about uh, you could affect the trigger pull by weight uh, being one of the factors. Where does the weight come in? Uh, the weight typically will be between the sear, let's say on a, on a 1911. It's the sear and the hammer and how they engage. Um, the angles of those can have an effect. You compound that by a sear spring, that determines, that increases some of the pull weight. On a striker-fired pistol, there could be different angles on both the striker and the sear that cause more force to be applied. There mm-hmm. are also other springs that can be applied. There could be a stronger sear spring that's pushing the sear up. Uh, there could be a stronger trigger return spring mm-hmm. that requires you to, to overcome that resistance, too. Okay. 
And, so in other words, a flat face kind of gives you a, a, an advantage of leverage, so to speak, on a yes. easier pull. Yeah, on a, a striker-fired pistol, there, there are some advantages to that, definitely. Makes sense. Now, now, earlier you were talking about setting triggers forward. And, mm -hmm. and talk talk more about that part of it. What Perfect. what is that? That falls into the realm of ergonomics, and that's something that we ended up having to really look at. What where is uh, an ideal and comfortable placement of that trigger, that pad of the trigger, relative to the average hand? So you know, when we were designing, say, the the flat face forward set trigger for us, mm -hmm. um, we had a variety of people that we we would. We would make these prototypes and have people sample it. So how does the trigger feel? And it was sort of a it's subjective, but we're going off of how people feel where it is a comfortable resting point. The, the reason why we did that in part was because that natural resting position, when you pick up a gun, if your trigger finger rests and it's in a natural position and not too far to the rear, it's at that spot where you can contract the muscles in your trigger finger or isolate them and contract them faster and release faster. If mm -hmm. your trigger finger is too far to the rear, some of those muscles have to be already pre-loaded. Pre so right. you have to apply the more force, and now you've got to spend more energy, muscle energy, to try to release that trigger to get back to get to the reset point. Which actually changes your muzzle position. In other words, yes. you'll either be end up pulling left or low right, or you'll be pushing it or pulling it one of the, one of the ways. Yes, and, and that's, it, that's very true, and that's the same with having the trigger too far forwards. So there's like a sweet spot, and it's different for everybody, but we couldn't make a trigger that adjusted to every individual. We just had to go for the average. But the cool part about the Smith & Weston, though, that you guys can that you can apply with that red flatty is they have the adjustable back straps. Yes. So you can actually make it smaller, which can in turn change that distance to the mm -hmm. to that trigger. Which you change the distance by the, the back strap. Yeah. Instead which of actually changing the trigger, you change the... Mm -hmm. Just the grip. Yeah. If you look at something like the Sig X5, that they have an adjustable trigger where it's it's got this locking sort of ladder system where you can kind of ratchet the trigger body to the rear or slightly forwards, and and that does sort of similar the similar idea. It's just that they didn't have adjustable back straps, interchangeable back straps. Hmm. So the new Gen fours. In other words, in, in the Glocks, mm -hmm. they have the new adjustable backstrap. It should help with the trigger uh, pull as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting because what we learned with all this stuff on figuring triggers, we found that it can affect the speed at which you you engage you know, multiple shots. It can affect your accuracy. And because the the hand is involved, you've got multiple muscles that are holding onto the gun and the harder the trigger pull or the more tense the trigger finger because of a poor positioning will cause your shots to throw off because now you're putting input into the gun instead of just isolating and articulating just the trigger fade. So less time less time you've got on trigger, the less the less chance you got or less time you've got for error. Yes. Yeah. So the, the quicker you can get the shot off the more accurate you're going to be. Mm -hmm. I can contest to that, uh, and I think Paul kind of got tickled at me with uh, trying my little explanation of the best decision of my life to drop the red flatty, and uh, you know, before the pro am, 
Uh-huh. But uh, it it actually was. It it changed the whole ergonomics of the pistol, and it allowed for better shot placement. You know, by having that red Ford set flatty. Yes, and that was the that was sort of the, the ultimate goal when we first came out with the our triggers. The it the the original Ford set trigger basically mimicked sort of the same position of the of the factory trigger when it was at its final compression point. But we were finding that it only worked well for people with medium to small hands um, because of the curvature, and it was so it was a little bit too far back. the The flat face put it at more that ideal natural resting position, and we started noticing that the results overall for individual shooters um, that were doing the testing it improved their their shot to shot their split times, uh, reduced error in their accuracy, and it, they just happened to they they couldn't explain it, but it just felt better. And because it felt better, maybe it was a placebo effect, and it just made them shoot better. I'm not sure. I you know. mean, it you can definitely tell it shoots better. I can I can contest that for sure. It, yeah. uh, Have you noticed I, that, um, Randy, on the Glock triggers? I know you don't do a lot, but you do have a flat uh, trigger for the Glock, but it's not like mm-hmm. what you've got for the the Smith and Wessons, and and I've got it right here. It's the um, the Glock Action Enhancement Trigger with the Gen 3 factory trigger bar, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been been using it. I haven't had a chance to do a whole lot with it. I've been dry dry firing it quite a bit, and uh, actually, Casey and I were going to try to do a little more uh, T&E in with it at the range the other day, but we just ran out of sunlight. But mm-hmm. um, and I've noticed that Glock and the in the new gens, they're they're getting more flat with their triggers. They're not as curved. Have you noticed that? There's been an evolution more towards that. I've sort of noticed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because some of the yeah. early like the first generation guns definitely had a more radical curve to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, even the gen the the gen threes had a little more. Yeah, I I think they had a little more curve than the Gen fours. Mm-hmm. I just wondered what your take was on that as well. Are yeah. more people plan? Are more of the manufacturers going toward the flat trigger now versus I, the curved? I tend to think that before it was people thought it was a fad. Like in the 1911s, it's like oh that's the latest and greatest, and then it started to die on the vine. Where it's like okay, they went back to the traditional. But for the articulating trigger, like the striker-fired guns, it, there's a definite advantage to it. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, too, that, that we discovered in, in these guns, the, the mass bias or the weight between the slide and the frame, the difference is backwards from what the traditional guns are. Here on a, on a Glock or an MP, you've got a, a really heavy top end and a really light plastic bottom end. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing accuracy testing with, with the Ransom. And the thing that I discovered was that there was literally no information on how to really obtain accuracy out of the the polymer guns out of a ransom because there was so much flex. They they say that the best thing I could get from from ransom was that well, put the frame, clamp it into the ransom rest. Uh, you can't tighten it down too tight because it'll affect the function of the guns like the Glocks, mm-hmm. and it won't allow you to remove the magazine. So you just kind of gently lock the two clamshells together. And then fire about 26 or 27 rounds to get to sort of settle in. Right. And we couldn't get groups. We could not get accuracy. I mean, it's like, so I think it, people dropped it because 
of the fact that, well, we just can't get the same accuracy out of a steel frame. Now, you look at, at how a person holds the gun, too. When the gun fires in a polymer pistol, the first thing to move is the lightest part mm-hmm. under the recoil impulse. And because of that, that can adversely affect where your sights are pointed um, because it happens in microseconds. The recoil impulse occurs as it starts to move rearwards just because the, there's that explosion, controlled explosion in your hand. Any subtle movements of the, the hand and the musculature will cause the frame to shift. And when it does that, all of a sudden the sights start to move in that same direction. Right. And your accuracy is off. Yes. I can see that. Now, the other thing that was interesting was that when we were articulating the trigger in the ransom rest, we found that that using their system would cause, because you have a soft urethane clamshell around the, the, the frame, you had something that was trying to press the trigger, hopefully to the rear, but any extraneous movement would cause the frame to shift and the sights the shift. So when we accuracy test, like the M&Ps, when we tested our barrels, we use a one-minute dot for, for testing, and we sight each mm-hmm. shot in. Well, you can literally articulate the trigger and see the dot drift off your point of aim on the target. Were you doing so, slow-mo video with that, or is that just the naked eye you were noticing that? We were noticing with the naked eye. So we had to figure out a whole new way of... of uh, Modulating testing. the trigger, yeah, and testing yeah. the system to get the accuracy because we needed to know what the mechanical accuracy of the system was, and and it all boils down to how the trigger is engaged. Factory did you come gun. up with a way to to do the test? Yes, yeah, we did, and we neutral we eliminated that variable with with it. Um, so it's our own proprietary testing, but now we can test ah. what is the true mechanical accuracy of the gun. Um, and that's why you know we harp on things like trigger control, but it really is the most important thing. Um, you can grip the gun upside down. You can grip it as light as you want. As long as your trigger press is consistent, your shot will typically go where you want it to. Right. But on a polymer frame, if you put any little input sideways, up or down on it, you're going to see your, your group start to move, shift, or get bigger. Right. Very cool. It's kind of yeah, nerd stuff, but that's well, nerd I, stuff is cool. It's, it's I love having people like you on the show that that you can get to that kind of level for our listeners. Uh, that's awesome. See, I told you, Marty. They they thought deep into the process. Of, <laughs> I told you. I, I love was, having engineers on the show, man. <laughs> There's a good friend of mine that's law enforcement. Is that sometimes it's. It, there are just times when you need to shoot the engineer and drive on. <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably true. Well, in this case, it wouldn't be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how we get innovative products, too, you know, is forward thinking, logical thinking, technical thinking people like yourself. Uh, and that's how, you know, we're going to get to the next level. I mean, I, 20 years from now, I'm excited to see how firearms are going to progress. It's yeah. not going to be the same thing that we're looking at now. No. The new technology and projectiles and propellants and everything. Just like, we we yeah. may end up having rail guns. I don't know. <laughs> well, they've been in development for a long time. Yeah. If you can ever figure out how to get the field and, and whatever pistol the military decides to go with, I have no idea. But 
if you can never get your hands in on a government contract on the actual ergonomics of a pistol for the military, mm-hmm. hey, that's that's that'd be great. <laughs> well, I guess that's that's, that's a. I think that's what they're doing right now, right? The the modular handgun system. Are I they believe still in terms so. of that. I don't know. I don't see. I've seen. I've read all kinds of stuff, and Army Times had something to come out not too long ago on it, and. Uh, they were still up in arms about the M9. You know, it's tradition. It's been around for God knows how long. But uh, I know a t- I know a while. I probably should know that date. But um, they want something as they want something more reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, the M9 did have its flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tried to progressively make those better. But I don't know. The Smith and Wesson was tested, and I don't know how it tested. Uh, and, and I know the Glocks were tested. I know some units use Glocks uh, yeah. and specialized units. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then again, specialized units are going to use whatever they want. I can contest that from seeing that firsthand. <laughs> sure. So, you know, so where do you go? I mean, I know they're trying to get something overall for every soldier on the ground that carries a pistol, tankers, scouts, even uh, military police. You know, anything. So. Yeah, they're trying to standardize it, and I think the the big emphasis on the the new modular handgun is that it's it's truly modular that that you can have back straps that adjust or side grip panels and everything else, and that's why I believe Smith and Wesson partnered with General Dynamics was to try to resolve some of those issues with the M&P and part the accuracy, and to make it a modular system. To where you could swap out, you know, different grip sizes. See, to me, that's not ideal because now you're adding more moving parts to the gun and things that could break and and whatnot. I don't, I don't like the idea of the interchangeable back straps. I, I don't know what an alternative would be, but uh, you know, maybe. Well, no, maybe you make them like. Um, uh, like AR grips, where you just you can unscrew them and put different one whole units in instead of different parts. I don't yeah. know, but then, but then you've got another moving separate moving part. I think that's what Sig did with their 320, uh, and because that is truly modular. It's you have different grips that the whole chassis just kind of drops into, so right. you can have a compact out of it, or you can because the serial numbered part is actually the the chassis that holds everything. The trigger, the frame rails, and everything else. Right. So uh, I'm kind of curious because Smith and Wesson is supposed to release a Gen 2 M&P here at Shot or shortly thereafter, and I think Ooh. that's the one they're trying to submit to the the new handgun trials. Oh, very uh, cool. I will be looking for that one. <laughs> Do you have a, a connection at Smith and Wesson? We have. Uh, we have contacts. We have. It's funny because it's sort of a love-hate relationship. Uh, there are people that in that company that absolutely hate us, but then we have we have people on there that absolutely love us too. So, right. But but I think they know that our products help in part sell their products. Yeah. So they haven't, and I think that's why they haven't like decided to come down with like, well, cease and desist on any of your activities. Because people call and say, "Hey, I'm buying your parts before I get my M and P because I like your parts and I want to make sure I have those to put into my new gun." Right. Um, or, or I'm going to buy the M and P because I can add your parts to it and yes. make it the way I want it. So that helps their sales, obviously. Challenging their performance center. Yes. 
And <laughs> I used to I, I used to love the performance center guns. The they back in the nineties and the early two thousands because they really had custom smiths working on them, hand fitting everything. Um and that's kind of gone away. I uh, we it seems like most custom shops now is it's just a roll stamp. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's what I see. The The quality isn't really any better. In some cases, I've seen it have been worse than the regular production guns. Well, that was so some good in... Yeah, that was some great insight uh, on trigger mechanics and operations, and we appreciate you providing that egghead <laughs> engineer-level <laughs> explanation. Uh, seriously, though, I mean, we love that. Uh, yeah, we love that. Great. Great. I was, I was looking for the, the kind of glazed-over, glossy look in your eyes to say, like, okay, maybe it's too much. I'll shut no, up. No, no, I was not at all. taking every little bit of that in. No, I mean, we could go on. We could keep going, but... All right, so that was a, a great segment there on Triggers with Randy, and now it is time for our Sonoran Desert Institute's Fact to Fight the Myth. SDI is proud to present the Talking Lead Fact to Fight the Myth. And Randy has got a very good myth for us today that he is going to bust. <laughs> what is it, Randy? What do you got? Well, in, in the great action movies, you always saw, see people checking their revolvers. You open the cylinder, and then you just use your wrist to flick that thing shut. Yeah. And that is one of the worst things you can do for a revolver. Really? Uh, yes. The, the modern double-action revolver was designed with safety margins. And the way they did that was they make sure that the frame is softer so that it doesn't fragment like a grenade. That if it's going to fail, it'll stretch and bend and deform but stay in one piece. Well, the, mm-hmm. the downside of that is that that metal where those pins go through, like on the Smith & Wessons, there's, they have a center pin through the cylinder mm-hmm. that locks into a hole in the back of the frame. Well, when you slam that shut like that, what it does is it it starts to egg shape and deform that hole, and eventually mm. it can get so bad that the cylinder sort of wobbles all over the place. Oh wow! And when you start doing that more and more, that will start to deform the yoke or the cylinder crane, and so everything gets out of alignment, and all of a sudden your trigger pull gets all sorts of weird glitches in it. The cylinder starts rubbing against the forcing cone, um, and We've literally repaired hundreds and hundreds of competition guns because the cylinders get slammed so hard. So, it's so how do you things. how do you repair that? How do you repair that hole back there? For us, we have to make our own fixtures and make bushings to replace that where the hole originally was, um, and to mm. reinforce it. Right. So it becomes sort of a pain. Um, now at and that sp- point, do you put a stronger a stronger metal in there when you're doing your own bushings that way? Yes, yeah, to resist that because that way the frame will hold up. It'll continue to operate. The it's a hardened bushing. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. But that every time, like we're all revolver shooters here, so both my my partner Scott and I, anytime we see that in the movies, you just cringe like somebody you running start their cringing. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> It makes sense though, because you know everything is is lined up for a reason. And uh, yeah. the more you start to doing that, and it starts to wobble, you know, wear it out, you're going to get light strikes or mm-hmm. you know, missed strikes or anything like that. Especially whenever the hammer comes down. 
Yes, and the yeah. the rollbar is it's a precision tool. It really is. I mean, there's a lot of fine moving parts, and it, it that whole idea that it's super robust and will always fire. It, it's not necessarily true. It's like they if they are maintained properly, just like anything, they will they will last a lifetime. And could that start to possibly wear the barrel? It it can because it can force the the bullets to hit off on the side of the forcing cone. It can cause shaving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what we see is cylinder skip too, where yeah. it egg shapes so much that now the whole cylinder lifts up and away from the cylinder stop. So the cylinder just keeps going around. Wow, makes so, sense. So there you go, revolver guys. Don't slam your cylinder shut. It's not the movies. Yes. Or go ahead and send your gun into Apex, and they can put one of those bushings in there, and you oh, don't no. have, you won't have to worry about it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm trying to, get, trying to get you some business, man. You're good, and you can abuse it all you want. <laughs> then you can just slam it shut all you want. <laughs> you might not get it back for seven years, though. Yeah, yeah you may not get it back you, for eight years, but yeah. <laughs> you'll get it eventually. <laughs> SDI's 32 semester credit hour certificate program in gunsmithing and 60 credit hour associate of science and firearms technology degree program can work hand in hand and are the most complete training programs of their kind. SDI strives to give you the best quantity and quality of professional gunsmithing information and tools. These programs are perfect for students interested in careers in the firearms industry or for those who are interested in owning their own gunsmithing business. Our programs are delivered by distance learning, which allows our students to maintain full-time jobs, families, military service, and more while working towards their degree or certificate. The Sonoran Desert Institute mission is adding value to our students' lives by providing innovative, relevant, and applicable workplace-driven education through distance-delivered instructions. Visit them at sdi.edu. So that was a good one. That's uh, that's something completely different. We never had a, a fact to fight to myth like that before. Very good. All right. So now it's time for our trivia, and we've got some giveaways to do. Um, let's go back to the Primic video. We finally got that video up to 900 views. Uh, actually, at this point in time, it's up to 940 views. So congratulations, Leadheads. Uh, appreciate you guys um, showing Matt over there at Primix some love and, and watching his video, liking his Facebook page. He was giving the winner three videos of your choice, any three videos on his website um, that you want. And what you had to do was you had to tell us how many shots were fired during that video. So I'm going to go to the winner's email that they sent in. The winner is Brittany Hoover. Brittany sent this email in. It says, Left Hand, I thoroughly enjoyed your interview with Matt Powell. He's one smart guy. When he and Aaron Cowan get together, some awesome stuff seems to happen. I watched Tactical Movement Transitions with the Pistol and Rifle Part 1 of 4 Full title and counted 47 shots, and that's the correct answer, 47 shots. Uh, and we had a lot of people that had the right answer, but again, you know, we go, we do this randomly now, and uh, Brittany was chosen to be the winner. She goes on to say there is a short report at 539, but he is reloading when he appears on screen, so I didn't count that as we don't actually see the shot fired. Wow, she really got into the detail in this video, so she watched the video, so she deserves to win 
Um, and she says, I'm baffled that Matt and Aaron both don't have more subs and videos. The content is outstanding. If you aren't learning from them, you aren't paying attention. Very well put, Brittany. Uh, thanks again for putting on some great content. We uh, appreciate the effort, Britt Hoover. So congratulations, Britt. Um, send me your contact info, and I'll put you in touch with Matt, and you get three videos of your choosing. All right, next trivia question was the Jesse Tishauer video where he's shooting the uh, shotgun, and he does the quick reload. The question was how many shells were thrown at him? And the answer is four shells. And you guys did really good on your participation on that. You were supposed to go to his website, like the video, comment on the video, and say Leadhead was here. And uh, there was a whole lot of you guys that participated. But the winner was Kevin McQuaid. Congratulations to Kevin and uh, Kevin is former military, so you guys thank Kevin for his service. And Kevin, you get your choice of either a tactical shield, pistol, what is this, a molly pouch or a rifle molly pouch. So get in touch with me. Let me know which one of those you want. I'm going to send that to you. I'll send you uh, some other stuff I've got from tactical shield. And then Jesse is going to send you some stuff as well. Uh, so a little swag bag from Jesse Tishauer and probably going to be some cool stuff with all the sponsors that he has there too. So that brings us to this week's trivia question and our guest Randy with Apex. Randy, what uh, trivia question do you have for us this week? The, the question is, when was the Apex M&P Fully Machine Sear first released? Okay. The month, date, and year. Month, date, and year. Okay. And are we going to tell them where they can go find this information, or do they just have to guess the, where to go get it? No, you can, <laughs> it's, it's somewhere buried in our website. Okay. So you got to go to their website, and you need to tell us what month, date, and year. Say that again. The Apex M&P Fully Machined Sear was released. Was released. Okay. Go ahead. That was that was our very first product, and that's what launched us all into where we're at now. All right. So you guys typically, you know, you got to do the same thing. So you're going to have to go to their website. You're going to find that answer. You're going to go back to their Facebook page, and they're going to post this episode on their Facebook page. So you guys are going to go to that post uh, at Apex Tactical Specialties, Inc. on Facebook. You're going to like their Facebook page. You're going to like that post of the show. You better like that post of the show. Uh, and then you're going to put your comment there, um, the answer to the question uh, in the comment section there, and you're going to say Leadhead was here. And the winner of that is going to get uh, a swag bag filled with all sorts of cool Apex Tactical Specialties um, swag. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You know there might be a trigger in there. It could be some hats. or could be some t-shirts. You just never know. So going to be some perfect cool stuff like that uh, in there. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome swag bag. Very good. 
So tell everybody how they can get in touch with Apex. Uh, you know, you've got the website, you've got the Facebook. Are you guys on Instagram? Yeah, they can follow us on on Instagram and Twitter as well. Okay. As Facebook, or even follow us on our blog on on uh, at our website. Yeah. Now, now I almost forgot. There's something else that we need to talk about. You guys have something really cool coming out for the Smith and Wesson. Uh, that's not triggers, but you've got a barrel coming out, right? Yes, and in fact, it was released on Monday. There you go. So tell us, let's talk a little bit about that barrel real quick. Oh yeah. I know, I know, our guys are going to be interested in that. I know Casey is. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> that barrel was is the culmination of about four years of me pulling my hair out. Um, <laughs> it, it was. We had the general idea and, and had the understanding of how to improve the accuracy, but we weren't, we weren't barrel makers. We don't have you know the equipment to be able to make the barrels per se. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything to do the rifling. So the history was that we had tried to partner with my friend Er from Barstow Precision. I mean, he's he's great at barrel manufacturing and everything, um, but some of the stuff that I wanted like the twist rate and some of the geometry he couldn't reproduce. So we had to find out the alternate sources. Um, so we once we did that, we started to bring more stuff, at least have a greater understanding of how to do more stuff in-house. So once we had the rifled blanks, we could do all the rest of it. It just took some time to get there. Mm-hmm. The, the barrels are unlike anything else out there. Uh, we've tested... I've spent so much time on the range uh, ransom resting just to see what the mechanical accuracy of these guns are. And nobody ever thought that a striker-fired polymer pistol could shoot sub-half-inch groups consistently at 25 yards. Uh, The best group we have to date is about three-tenths of an inch for five shots. Um, (laughs) That's that's on par with some of the custom custom (laughs) guns, the 1911s. Yes. Uh, and, That's and, amazing. Now, how did you how did you achieve that type of accuracy? We had to really go back to the beginning of there's there's polymer guns behave very differently, very uniquely, and we had to figure out we had to we had to kind of backtrack. It's like okay, we we know that the people are complaining about accuracy, but why is it not accurate? And so it was a culmination of understanding, starting to understand what happens when a polymer gun fires and how the, the frame kind of deforms. The other thing was that there were, I, I sifted through like 10,000 individual frames of high-speed photography and finally wow. caught a clue because what happens in the guns, the steel stretches. They have what they call a modulus of elasticity. So an effect in the M&P, the slide acts like a rubber band as soon as you fire it. As soon as you fire it, the the brass gets pushed towards the back, and the bullet is pulling the barrel forwards. Well, what happens is the area right around the ejection port gives. It yields a little bit, and it's just enough to destabilize the barrel. And when it does that, now the barrel is floating at the back end and the front end, and that's what causes the erroneous accuracy. Huh. So... We devised our own geometry to compensate for that destabilization. Um, in fact, so much that we were able to apply for a patent on it. Wow. Um, and that's how complex it got. 
but it was it's been so frustrating it's been an uphill battle to get the barrel to finally get to this point so is there some sort of as far as the is it just like your typical barrel I mean just for the naked eye the layman wouldn't be able to tell no no it it looks like your traditional standard barrel The, the only difference is that we're, we're having to fight tolerances with a gun, and the tolerances between from gun to gun vary wildly because these are guns that are pushed out by the thousands every day. Yeah. So you can't have a drop-in part that will, will improve the accuracy. So what we did was we made it user-friendly and created, for those people that don't want to send their guns off to a gunsmith, is the semi-drop-in where we took out all the hard parts where all you have to do is file on maybe two places to get a precise fit to your slide and frame. Mm-hmm. Now, is this is this accuracy that you're achieving with this new barrel, I'm assuming it's obviously with your triggers also, right? Uh, no. We, we've, no. Been testing, okay. we've been testing the barrels independently. Um, Interesting. Okay. And... and Part of that is because we know that not everybody is going to be interested in our trigger components. Mm-hmm. But if they can get a barrel that will improve their accuracy, then there's something there. Yeah. The, but then throw on top of it the trigger, and that yes. is, that's going to – yeah, there you go. So it's we it's it's maturing to you building your own gun, isn't it? <laughs> that's the evolution. It starts out with, okay, fire control components, the trigger – you know the sear components, the the extractors, how a gun extracts <laughs> properly and doesn't hit like, brass in the face. You've already you're got like, everything. You're like, look, Smith and Wesson, I'm tired of making your gun better. I'm just gonna make my own gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically where the evolution is, because yeah. we've we've probably seen more Smith and Wesson M&Ps outside of that factory than anybody. And that's how we were finally able to figure out what kind of tolerances we were dealing with and what was really going on. So now we've got a product that, yeah, if you have a file and in, in 15 or 20 minutes you can fit a barrel to your gun and inspect that at, okay, handheld accuracy, practical accuracy, you should be able to get within an inch and a half at, at 25 yards without a problem. If you're a really good shot, um, you could win the PPC nationals in the production division like one individual did with our barrel. Or if you're an action shooter, you could win the IDPA nationals uh, stock service pistol division master class with one of our barrels. And that's been done. Cool. Now when you start start making your own guns, Mm -hmm. then the people who shoot the, was it factory class? Stock yeah. class, is that what it's called, Casey? I think it's stock service pistol. Stock service pistol. Yeah. yeah. Then there you go. You've, yeah. uh, you opened up opened up a whole other championship class there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. You stepped up the game for that. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, well, but, that's awesome, man. But make sure you tell them about that cool video that you put on uh, your Facebook page also. Oh, jeez. There, there was... They, we did one video which sort of explains how we chased accuracy to come to what we what has become the apex barrel and why we call it apex grade rather than match grade. We also have an installation video of how you fit these barrels, the, the semi-drop-in, because it can be done. If you have a little patience and you have a, a sharp file, you can fit the barrel to your individual gun. 
Cool. We'll, we'll release another video for the gunsmith fit later. Now, do you have different length barrels as well? They currently come in the, the four and a quarter and the five inch because the full size and the five inch version seem to have the most complaints as far as accuracy. Mm -hmm. The the shorter barrels don't have as many complaints, um, and we'll probably venture out into some of those different ones as well as different calibers over time. Yeah. Now, what about threaded barrels? Once we leave the the state of California, we're definitely going to look at that. <laughs> gotcha. Understandable, and that's that's coming soon, right? The move to, to Arizona. Twenty sixteen is what we're hoping for. It's like hopefully by summer. Okay. We'll be we'll be in a new location. Well, maybe we'll get an invitation to come out and do a tour of your new uh, facilities. Maybe do a little video or something. Absolutely. Yeah. YouTube yeah. It, it's yeah, not I mean, beyond me to invite myself out somewhere, Randy. <laughs> okay, got you. <laughs> I'll wait for the image. I don't drop hints. I drop anchors. <laughs> Very cool. So, guys, you got to make sure you go check out Apex. They're way more than just triggers now with those barrels, uh, and especially you Smith & Wesson guys. Uh, go check them out. Is it Apex Tactical? Yes.com. ApexTactical.com is the website, and then just uh, do the search on Facebook for Apex Tactical, uh, and they'll come up. They are the one that's currently in Cali, but soon to be Arizona. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Sweet. Well, guys, that brings us to the end of another episode of Talking Lead. Uh, Randy, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, and... Uh, the technical difficulties that we've experienced. I apologize about that. Uh, I think it's a conspiracy against us. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, Casey, anybody you want to give a shout out to before we sign off? Uh, well, yeah, Randy, uh, especially. You know, <laughs> for uh, you know, um, sponsor me with Apex Triggers and uh, a barrel coming soon, in which I can't wait to put in my Smith Wesson. Um, I'm you know super excited and, and proud that you guys uh, sponsored me. That means a lot. Uh, and also Troy Industries, you know, I'm proud to be their shooter as well, sporting the jersey, sporting the rifle, and also um, Marty at Talking Lead, you know, for for posting uh, everything out there about me and uh, putting up with me and following me around and and uh, allowing me to bring my sponsors. My to pleasure, buddy. My pleasure. So, I've enjoyed it. But, uh, but yeah, I want to uh, thank Paul for putting together this interview with Randy, too. Paul, uh, if you're still there, uh, thanks for your hard work and getting this uh, put together and making it possible. Paul's the man. Uh, so let me thank my sponsors. Um, I want to thank the Sonoran Desert Institute. Go check them out. Uh, Tactical Walls. Uh, you guys want some cool concealment furniture you go to tactical walls they've got some stock stuff or they'll custom make something for you uh, tacticalwalls.com I'd like to thank Nordic Components uh, Casey over there at Nordic Components uh, the muzzle brake that we just did the video on uh, it works great the Corvette comp um, can't wait to get that 22 in uh, upper and Casey's going to get that, and we're going to do some videos with that. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait. That's good. 
But go, yeah, go check out Nordic Components. It's nordiccomp.com. And uh, use discount code at Tactical Walls and at Nordic Components, Leadhead, and you're going to get uh, 7% off both those places. Um, they're running some end-of-the-year deals right now, and you can stack that discount code at Nordic Components and get an additional 7% off uh, whatever uh, special that they're running right now. I think it's 10% off $200 or more. Is that what it is? Something like that, I believe. I have to go back and look. But yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, so take advantage of that. Uh, I like to thank uh, the guys over at Dipstick Coatings, Dipstick123. Uh, we're in some talks with them on doing some, some other projects, uh, so we'll be talking about that uh, soon. So go to Dipstick123 for all your hydro dipping needs uh, might even be a little collab with them and Nordic coming up so stay tuned for that as well yeah baby yeah that's gonna be cool and as always guys make sure you go and support Mission 22 um, that is the organization that is bringing awareness to the veteran suicide that we have in this country 22 veterans a day on average commit suicide that's 8,000 a year that is unacceptable go to mission 22 and support those guys help get the word out on your Instagram post on your uh, Facebook post uh, wherever you see the number 22 take a picture of that post it on there and do the hashtag MI22ION uh, they've got some cool beanies now they got some new beanies um, on their site so um, go check that out. Makes great Christmas gifts. Uh, and then our guys over at Sheepdog Impact Assistance. Looking forward to hooking up with them at SHOT Show. I talked to them the other day, and I'm going to get Sergeant Major Nutt on, uh, Sergeant Major Lance Nutt on the show again at SHOT Show this year, get an update on uh, the latest and greatest that those guys are doing. But that's the organization that you've heard me talk about to where um, former military law enforcement, EMT, you know, our sheepdogs, the people that safeguard our country, uh, our individuals, once they retire, you know, they still have that instinct, that sheepdog instinct. They still want to serve. They still want to protect. And what these guys do is they organize disaster relief missions, um, things like that, and get those guys with this, this uh, expertise together to go and help with those, uh, those missions. So you can go to their website. They've got swag and gear there, awesome shirts and hats, and they've got a deal with proper, and uh, they sell a lot of proper stuff on their site as well. So um, go to Sheepdog IA, and uh, you can just sign up to be a member, donate, um, but help those guys out too. It's a great organization. I got one more I want to give props to. Okay. Uh, Detroit Ammunition Company. I can't oh, thank yes. you guys enough. Yeah. I cannot thank you enough for, for giving me the for giving me the ammo to compete with and to be successful with. Uh, Ezio, thank you. And you guys use my code CG3G. That way you can get a discount on some ammo. And uh, just make sure on checkout that you do that. So check out Detroit Ammo Co. There you go. And just a quick shout out to um, our friends over at Cantu Bruner Designs. They make those cool... Um, bullet pins uh, they can custom make those or they've got some uh, stock ones that you can order another great Christmas gift that you can do uh, Leatherneck Tactical makes some great Kydex holsters check them out oh and I want to thank Apex um, 
tactical again for the Glock trigger. I'm looking forward to testing it out, Randy. I can already tell just by dry firing it, I really like the trigger. I like the mechanics of it better than my Gen 3 trigger that I had in here. So uh, we're going to get some videos of that, and uh, hopefully uh, I'm going to be more accurate. I suck at accuracy. Oh, yeah. Just you're going to be more accurate. <laughs> the field targets, by the way, sent me a spinner, so you're going to be tested on spinning the spinner. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm down with that. I can do it. Test the apex trigger on the spinner. There you go. Oh, that's cool. And as always, Landheads, keep your loved ones close. And keep your Apex Improved Firearms close. Boom. Bingo, baby. And be more accurate. <laughs>